You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash kalaminstitute. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Asiratun Nabawiyah. Um, you know, just, just to kind of comment on something we all uh, heard and benefited from. Uh, when Brother Luqman, Brother Larry, he was talking about how he was really mesmerized by watching, you know, folks pray. And especially pray together. If you do recall, we were talking about, we discussed this actually here in our uh, sessions um, on the seerah, the life of the Prophet ﷺ. How one of the very first things that the Prophet ﷺ was instructed to do by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Jibreel ﷺ actually came to the Prophet ﷺ and took him to make wudu. And then showed him how to pray the salah. And the Prophet ﷺ prayed with Jibreel والسلام, And then not only that, but then afterwards when Khadija radiallahu anha uh, had accepted Islam, the Prophet ﷺ took Khadija radiallahu anha, his wife, the first believer, they, he made, taught her how to make wudu, she made wudu, and then he taught her how to pray, and they prayed together. And when the Prophet ﷺ and Khadija radiallahu anha were praying together, Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu, the second person to accept Islam, saw them praying together, and then he asked the Prophet ﷺ, that what are y'all doing? And then he, the Prophet ﷺ, explained to him what they were doing, and then Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu accepted Islam. So you see the, 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 the effect of salah from the very beginning, from the very get-go, and you see the power of not just salah, but per, per, particularly praying that salah in congregation, in jama'ah. And this is the wisdom and one of the benefits and the blessings of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where he says, جُعِلَتْ ardu masjidan wa tuhuran." That the Prophet of Allah ﷺ says that the entire earth has been made a masjid and a source of purification for me. Meaning this is a gift from Allah to Muhammad Rasulullah ﷺ and to the ummah, the followers of Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, that anywhere in the earth, doesn't matter where we're at, it doesn't necessarily have to be a masjid or a place of worship, but we could be driving, we could be traveling, we could stop by the side of the road, anytime, any place it comes in for the time of prayer, we basically can stop, step over to the side and we can pray wherever we're at. And we see uh, the blessing of that when we hear you know, somebody's reflections uh, as we just heard a little while ago. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless uh, our brother and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept him and give him uh, strength in inshallah learning and practicing his deen. So <clears throat> in covering the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, I talked about this last week and and. Last week's session we talked about the boycott which the books of Sirah say was anywhere from two to three years and actually majority of the historians, the scholars of the Sirah say was closer to three years that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, the believers, those who had accepted the message of the Prophet ﷺ, the immediate family of the Prophet ﷺ, Banu Abdul Muttalib and anyone else from the Quraysh who is willing to support 
The Prophet ﷺ or protect the Muslims from persecution. They were all boycotted by their people. We talked about how initially actually it was Abu Talib himself who took the Prophet ﷺ and his family and some of the believers into the valley to actually protect them because he heard of Abu Jahl openly in broad daylight talking about assassinating the Prophet ﷺ in public. And the other leaders of the Quraysh and the other leaders of the family have basically told Abu Jahl that listen, if you're willing to do this, we'll stand with you and we'll protect you from any type of retribution from Banu Hashim or Banu Abdul Muttalib. So when Abu Talib heard that these types of sentiments are starting to fester in Mecca, he basically took the Prophet ﷺ and his family and some of the believers to this valley. When the Quraysh saw this, they saw this kind of an, as an opportunity and they said, fine, if these people want to go live separately over there in the valley, that's perfect. Why don't we just boycott them? And then they basically had an, uh, a pact. أَلَّا يُجَالِسُوهُمْ وَلَا يُبَايِعُوهُمْ وَلَا يَنْكِحُوهُمْ That they would not sit with these people, they would not, وَلَا يُكَلِّمُوهُمْ They would not talk to these people, they would not do business with these people, they would not marry into these people. And they would not do anything with these people anymore. Until and unless they give up this cause of theirs. And they basically wrote an agreement and hung it from the Kaaba. And we talked about some of the great suffering that happened during that time. You could hear the, scry- the cries and the screams of women and children. And there was great suffering during that time. And eventually we talked about how as a miracle, but we talked about why a duration of three years was not only for the tarbiyah of the early believers, but also to allow things to kind of come down a notch. And thirdly, for there to be a rising sentiment in Mecca itself that this is not correct, this is not alright, this cannot go on. And the common folks in the streets of Mecca began to talk about this. That come on, seriously, we disagree with these people. But how can you starve children, babies to death? How can you do that? And people weren't okay with it anymore. And when all of these factors came together, this is from the wisdom and the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When all three of these things came together, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent insects. And I talked about how that agreement was wrapped and bound in leather to protect it. That insects descended down by the command of Allah inside of that leather and ate away the places wherever it mentioned the name of Allah or the name of Rasulullah or it mentioned Islam and the Muslims. Wherever there was a mention of anything good, it ate away at that. And basically when you looked at the document, all you saw was the names of people like Abu Jahl and Akhnas bin Shuraik and Walid bin Mughira, just their names were left and whatever other you know, uh, bad things that they had written. And when Abu Talib goes there, and he basically, you know, stands at the Kaaba and he says, What is wrong with you people? Anything you're accusing wrongly, you're wrongly accusing Muhammad and his followers of doing, you people have done much worse. You say he divides your homes and your families? Look what you have done. You've thrown your own people out. You've left your own babies to starve to death. These are children, our children. How could you do this? And then the Prophet ﷺ had informed Abu Talib and then he says, and if you want any more evidence of what you've done is reprehensible, then check the agreement. My nephew has told me, you will find something miraculous there. And when they went and they uh, pulled down the agreement and they untied and unwrapped and they opened it up, they found exactly what the Prophet ﷺ had said that, you know, parts of the agreement had been eaten away, specific parts of it. And that's when basically even the rest of the council of the high council of Quraysh, 
They all said, that's it, this is over. They just needed an excuse. Abu Jahl protested. But at that point in time, nobody was willing to listen to him anymore. And so the boycott basically ended. But I kind of expressed my own personal thoughts and, and if you will, a bit of a, a regret about our state and condition as a community oftentimes that, you know, we, when we talk about the, and we talked about many of the lessons that we learned from that period, but it's very tragic at the end of the day that three years of such profound suffering in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, in the life of the family of the Prophet ﷺ, in the lives of the early Sahaba radiallahu anhum, that three years of such profound suffering we cover in an hour. Or we talk about it in ten pages. Or we talk about it in an hour and a half. It's really somewhat, it's, it's a tragedy. It really is. And this is unfortunately what leads us to not fully appreciating the life of the Prophet ﷺ as well. But nevertheless, it... To some extent it is what it is and you know we, we did talk about it but I wanted to start this session by kind of reiterating that. That this is my shortcoming, this is our shortcoming but, or, or the shortcoming of our knowledge but we should not, let that, we should not stop, let that stop and prevent us from truly trying to understand and appreciating and valuing the life of the Prophet and the experiences of the Prophet and the seerah. That tonight when you go home and you sit, you know, you, you, you go home and you sit in the comfort and the safety of your home, on your comfortable bed, on your comfortable couch, when you eat nice, fresh, warm food, when you sit there and look at the faces of your children, having gone to bed with full stomachs and smiles on their faces and happy, and you see the comfort that we experience, there's no guilt that comes with that, but at the same time for a moment, then stop there and think what those three years must have been like for Muhammad Rasulullah What those three years must have been like for Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, and Khadija radiallahu anha, and Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. For a moment, just take out a few minutes to try to imagine what that experience must have been like. To live in that type of uncertainty, difficulty, tragedy, travesty. To live like that for three years. What that must have been like. At least let's try to reflect on that for at least three minutes tonight. And, and that's something we should definitely do. To at least give do a little bit more justice to the profound life and the blessed life of Muhammad Rasulullah Today's session I wanted to talk about something that kind of ties in with that. Because what, what we have to understand is How did the Prophet ﷺ survive that tragedy? How did he survive such difficulty? How did he survive and persevere through such adversity? That, that's a valid, very very valid question Because I talked about this especially in the beginning of our seerah uh, lectures here That you know a lot of times when we talk about the Prophet ﷺ We oftentimes talk about him as a superhero but according to you know how we view superheroes the mythology and comic book culture and you know the way we talk about superheroes where they're just immune to certain things and they're just not touched or you know they they just don't feel certain things they 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 don't certain things just don't you know harm them at all and we we unfortunately sometimes have that type of a perception muhammad rasulullah sallallahu in literally speaking he is like a superhero to us He's, our, he's the most amazing role model. He's the most remarkable human being. He is 
everything that and uh, you know he's he's exactly what we strive for and what we what we try to be more like but at the same time in the way we think and we talk about superheroes it's not like that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the prophet sallallahu to announce to people innama ana bashar i am a human being at the end of the day in fact they used to complain that you know why isn't he an angel? Mali has a Rasul. Yakulu ta'am wa yamshi fil aswaq. He eats food. He walks in the marketplaces. Why didn't God just send an angel down with this message to us? Like why isn't there an angel here delivering this message to us? So the Prophet of Allah was a human being. He did feel pain. He did experience that adversity and difficulty. He did have moments that were very very difficult to overcome. But what got the Prophet through those moments? The counsel to the Prophet of Allah the consoling of the Prophet the emotional nourishing of the Prophet and strengthening him emotionally was done through, was done by means of the Qur'an, the Book of Allah. See, the Qur'an wasn't just a text that was to be recited ritual, ritually. That it wasn't just a ritual text that you just recite. But the Qur'an, as we all know, had meaning and purpose to it. But one of the most profound purposes of the Qur'an and one of the most profound angles of the Qur'an is the fact that the Qur'an is counsel, the Qur'an is advice, the Qur'an is consolation. And when you actually read it with that, that fact in mind, you'll be very surprised. And you'll be, you'll, 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 your appreciation of the Qur'an will change. Because you'll see some of the, some of the most well-known Popular verses and surahs and parts and passages of the Qur'an are actually directly, they are explicitly and directly a consoling of the Prophet ﷺ. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taking care of the Prophet ﷺ, consoling the Prophet ﷺ, counseling the Prophet ﷺ. Surah Yaseen, وَالْقُرْآنِ الْحَكِيمِ إِنَّكَ لَمِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ عَلَى صِرَاطِ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ this is Allah consoling the Prophet. Don't listen to what they say. So time and time again, throughout, We didn't send this Qur'an to you to make your life more difficult or to ruin your life? Of course not. So this is a very profound understanding of the Qur'an. And what got the Prophet ﷺ through all the difficulties in his life, but particularly where we're at in the study of the seerah, that three year period was again that counsel from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That guidance and that directive from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what I wanted to talk about in today's session. Because when the Prophet ﷺ came out from that three years of isolation and boycott, and they basically tried to go back home, pick up the pieces of their life and reintegrate themselves into, the, into, into their, their former lives and community and society. And you can, again, that too, imagine that we don't even think about how difficult that must have been. Try to imagine how difficult that is. When, when we go somewhere, when we go overseas for 30 days, when we go overseas for a month or for three weeks, and then we come back, how difficult is it to just get back into the flow of things? Oh, what about this? What about that? And they didn't check this. Nobody checked that. This went bad and that got ruined and this happened and that happened and I got to get this fixed and I got to get that back on track. It's, it's, it takes you just a week or two just to kind of get back into the flow of things to pick up the pieces after three weeks away. 
You know, three months, like when school takes out, when you're out of school for three months, take a semester off, or don't take any summer classes. When you go back to school, how difficult is it to just get back into the groove of things? And so imagine three years away from your life. Imagine, try to appreciate how difficult that must have been. So now that they were getting back into things, the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, one of his regular routines and something he desperately missed during that time, was frequenting and going to the Kaaba, the Baytullah, regularly, on a daily basis. And the Prophet ﷺ got back into the flow of things. But now that he went there, you have to understand again. You know, he was a little bit, you know, there, there was some distance between him and the opposition for a while. And now that he was there every day praying again, they were back in, you know, so to speak, back in each other's faces. And so now, you know, they started, the confrontations, they started all over again. And so you can imagine how tired and fatigued and exhausted a person would be at that time. That the first time, imagine yourself in that situation. The first time somebody came up to you to argue with you again, you just, you would snap. I know I would, I would just snap. Like that's it. I can't take this anymore. Do you know what I've just been through because of you people? And now after everything that I've seen and everything that I've been through and everything that I've experienced, I come back to my life and now you want to pick up from where we left off, you want to start arguing with me again? I would just snap. So these people started confronting the Prophet ﷺ again. And that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so to speak, again to lean on an expression we have, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala got the Prophet ﷺ's back. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was there to support the Prophet ﷺ through the Qur'an. And there are multiple narrations which are immediate, like in the aftermath of this boycott ending. And I want to share these with you today. When the Prophet ﷺ came back, and he visited the Haram for the first time, Abu Jahl saw him. And you can imagine what this did to Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl was against even ending the boycott. He was ready to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ in cold blood, in broad daylight, regardless of the repercussions. So you can imagine how outraged he was to see the Prophet ﷺ back again in public doing his thing. So he says to the Prophet ﷺ that that you will stop cursing our idols or we will curse your idol, your, your deity, your God. You will start, stop cursing, stop talking bad about our deities, our idols that we worship. Otherwise, we will talk bad about the one you worship. And of course, the Prophet of Allah had never cursed or obscenely or profanely spoken about the idols. That just went against the character of the Prophet All he ever said was, don't worship this. This is a creation of Allah, just like I and you are a creation of Allah. So don't worship these things. That's all the Prophet would say. But yet, you can, you can understand this Abu Jahl. I mean, his argument doesn't really, based on who he is, he doesn't care about facts or, you know, fiction. He doesn't care about fact or fiction. He's just attacking the Prophet ﷺ. But again, to temper the response of the Prophet ﷺ, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to the Prophet from Suratul An'am, ayah number 108. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet ﷺ, do not... You haven't, 
you do not do this, but just as a word of caution. And again, it was said in the plural form, not just for the Prophet ﷺ, but as a reminder, as, in, as guidance and as instruction to the, to the ummah as well, that do not curse. Do not curse. Do not obscenely speak about. Do not insult. Those things that these people worship other than Allah, because as a response, these people will curse Allah. These people will speak ill and profanely and obscenely about Allah out of animosity, out of anger, in vengeance, without understanding even what they're doing. So again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tempered the response of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In another narration, it says that Nadr ibn al-Harith, who was one of, again, the key opposition leaders against the Prophet sallallahu he was sitting... And the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi he he approached the Prophet sallallahu and sat down with him. So whenever the Prophet sallallahu saw an opportunity like that, you know, he he saw it as an opportunity to give dawah to this person, maybe talk some sense into this person. So the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, al Quran wa yaduhu Allah. So the the Prophet sallallahu started to recite some of the Quran to him and invite him to Allah. And now that it's Nadr ibn al-Harith who was a very important person in the scene in Mecca at that time, and it's Muhammad Rasulullah and these two people don't really mix too much because Nadr ibn al-Harith has such a grudge against the Prophet So people started to gather around and come and kind of sit down. And the Prophet was reciting the Qur'an and inviting them to Allah. So what does Nadr ibn al-Harith start to do? He starts to tell stories of, you know, armies and kings and conquering. And, you know, he starts to tell all these war stories and everything. And then he says, Wallahi, ma Muhammadun bi ahsana hadithin minni. He says, look, Muhammad doesn't have better stories than I do. وَمَا حَدِيثُهُ إِلَىٰ سَاطِرُ الْأَوَّلِينَ اِكْتَتَبَهَا كَمَا اِكْتَتَبْتُهَا He said that he just tells stories of the past and he makes them up just like I just right now told and embellished a story of a previous war or battle. So what's the big deal? So he kind of... He, he, he pulled the Prophet ﷺ into this situation. So he would recite the Qur'an, give some da'wah, and people would gather around. And then he started to again, you know, confront the Prophet ﷺ, and attack the Prophet ﷺ. And again, you can imagine how difficult it would be to talk to somebody like this. Somebody so as, unintel- as unintelligent as this. Somebody who's being childish like this. But again, how did the Prophet ﷺ temper his response? Because he had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guiding him, counseling him, consoling him, supporting him. And Allah revealed the ayat of the Qur'an to the Prophet ﷺ from Surah Al-Furqan. Surah Al-Furqan, which is Surah number 25, Allah revealed the beginning ayat of Surah Al-Furqan. تَبَارَكَ الَّذِي نَزَّلَ الْفُرْقَانَ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ The most blessed is the one who is sending down bit by bit, piece by piece, Al-Furqan, the distinguisher between right and wrong, good and evil, upon his selected and chosen slave Muhammad لِيَكُونَ لِلْعَالَمِينَ نَذِيرًا So that not only Muhammad, but also the Qur'an. It could be Muhammad or the Qur'an or and the Qur'an. Both of them can be a warner, a force of warning 
for all people, regardless of when, when and where they live. Allah is the one who, to Him alone belongs the ownership of the heavens and the earth. He has not taken any child or offspring. offspring. He has nobody who shares in His authority. وَخَلَقَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ And he created every single little thing. فَقَدَّرَهُ تَقْدِيرًا And not only that, but then he has decreed, and he has planned out, and he has mapped out every single thing. How it will exist, how it will survive, how it will go forward. وَاتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِهِ آلِهَةً But what have these people done? They have taken deities and gods other than Allah. لَا يَخْلُقُونَ شَيْئًا Who have not created anything, they have nothing to show for. وَهُمْ يُخْلَقُونَ Rather they have been created. وَلَا يَمْلِكُونَ لِأَنفُسِهِمْ ضَرًّا وَلَا نَفْعًا They don't control even their own harm or their own benefit. وَلَا يَمْلِكُونَ مَوْتًا وَلَا حَيَاتًا وَلَا نُشُورًا They do not own, they do not control lifelessness, life, or coming back to life after death. وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا In this the part where it starts to address the issue. Ayah number four. وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفْرُونَ As for those who disbelieve and are ungrateful to Allah, what do they say? إِنْ هَذَا إِلَّا إِفْكٌ All of this is just a bunch of fiction. These are just made up stories. إِفْتَرَاهُ He's made them up. وَأَعَانَهُ عَلَيْهِ قَوْمٌ آخَرُونَ And other people have may helped him make, make up these crazy stories. فَقَدْ جَاءُوا ظُلْمًا وَزُورًا And Allah says these people have come with something that is extremely um, unjust and they have come with something that is a huge lie and a huge accusation. وَقَالُوا أَسَاطِيرُ الْأَوَّلِينَ And they say these are just the stories of the people of the past. اِكْتَتَبَهَا he just made them up. And these stories are dictated and told to him and given to him morning and evening. قُلْ What do you say? Rather, the one who sent them down is the one who knows every little secret, every little thing that is hidden in the heavens and the earth. إِنَّهُ كَانَ غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, most definitely He is the one that is constantly forgiving and constantly merciful. This was the response from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala given to the Prophet to deal with this situation. Ibn Ishaq mentions, one time the Prophet of Allah sat with Al-Walid bin Mughira in the masjid, meaning the haram, and Nadr ibn al-Harith came and sat down again. Same guy who was the troublemaker in the previous situation. And there were many other people of the Quraysh who were kind of sitting around. So the Prophet of Allah ﷺ again took the opportunity, seized the opportunity, started reciting some Qur'an and giving them some da'wah. Nadr ibn al-Harith interrupted the Prophet ﷺ and began to berate him and, and insult him. Got very just, very rude with him, abrasive with him. Not even trying to even argue anything. Just started getting rude and abrasive. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down ayat upon the Prophet Again, how do you respond with that? You're being dignified and honorable, speaking in a polite voice, and a polite tone. And somebody just walks up and just starts cursing you. Saying foul words, obscene words at you. It's very hard to deal with that. 
So again, how did the Prophet ﷺ deal with that? Allah sent down the ayat upon the Prophet ﷺ and he recited these ayat. And these ayat are from Surah Al-Anbiya. Surah number 21. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the ayat on the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, starting from ayah number 98. The most definitely you people, most definitely y'all and everything y'all worship other than Allah, Hasabu Jahannam. It will be a fuel for the fire of hell. Antum Lahawaridun, all of y'all are about to enter into this fire. And if these these things that you worship were really truly gods and deities and had any type of control or power, they would not go into the fire. They would stop from being entered into the fire. وَكُلٌ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ Rather, all of those things will burn in the fire of hell for all of eternity. لَهُمْ فِيهَا زَفِيرُونَ لَهُمْ فِيهَا زَفِيرُونَ That you will hear heavy breathing and sighing, moaning in the fire of hell. وَهُمْ فِيهَا لَا يَسْمَعُونَ But they themselves will be deaf in this fire, will not be able to hear anything. When the Prophet of Allah ﷺ recited this, some of the narrations mention that, you know, Nadr ibn al-Harith, the same man who was cursing and speaking in this manner to the Prophet ﷺ, he got completely quiet, was left speechless. I mean, it's the Qur'an, it's a word of Allah, it was so powerful. He was just dumbstruck, dumbfounded, he didn't even know what to say. And somebody else approached him, and some narrations mention that somebody else approached Al-Walid bin Mughira who was there as well and said that, hey, I just heard what went on. And this, this other person was somebody who was a little bit more culturally aware. So he said, hey, I have a rebuttal for you. I have a rebuttal for you. Don't a lot of y'all here in Mecca and Quraysh believe that the angels are the daughters of Allah and you worship the angels as well? And he said, yeah. And he said, what about your, the Christian tribes? Don't they say that Al-Masih, Isa ibn Maryam, is Ibnullah, the son of God, and they worship him? And he said, yeah. And he said, don't some of the Jewish tribes say that Uzair ibn, ibn Allah? Uzaid, the Prophet Uzaid is a prophet, is, a, is also the son of God and they worship him as well. And he said, yeah. He goes, why don't you ask Muhammad about that? I've heard him reciting his Quran. Talks about the angels. Talks about Isa alayhi salam. Talks about these people. And says, you know, that these are notable people. That, you know, what about that? If he says everything, all of y'all and everything y'all worship, all of that will burn in the fire of hell for all of eternity. Is he trying to say Isa, who he on one side tells this is a prophet and a messenger of God, is he trying to say he's going to burn in hell for all of eternity? Why don't you go and ask him that? So he says, yeah, that's a good idea. So they come to the Prophet ﷺ, they go behind and they catch the Prophet ﷺ, and they basically, you know, say this to him. Thinking they've got him trapped, they got him stuck now. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ said, "Kullu man ahabba an yu'bada min dunillahi, fahuwa ma'a man abadahu. Innahum 
The Prophet of Allah said, No, 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 you misunderstand. Everyone or everything. So these inanimate objects that you worship, that, and anyone who himself has claimed to be a deity, anyone who has commanded people to worship him, will also be burned with those who've worshipped him in the fire. Because those people are following, and as far as, far as the, the good people, that people unfortunately later, have, later on have wrongly turned into deities, like Isa ibn Maryam alayhi salam, that they have wrongly now gone on to worship him later on, they don't actually worship Isa alayhi salam. The Prophet of Allah sallallahu said, إِنَّهُمْ إِنَّمَا يَعْبُدُونَ الشَّيَاطِينَ وَمَنْ أَمَرَتْهُمْ بِعِبَادَتِهِ Rather, those people worship the shayateen, the troublemakers who have told them to worship Isa a.s. That's who they really worship, that's who they really obey. Because if they were obeying Isa a.s., they would have never worshipped him. They would have recognized Tawheed. And then the ayat came down upon the Prophet ﷺ, giving him further clarification. And then the Prophet of Allah ﷺ recited these ayat as a follow-up. The next few ayahs, starting from ayah number 101. Allah said, and as far as those people that our blessing has reached them, those people who are blessed by us, the prophets, the messengers, pious people of the past, who were firm on Tawheed, who only worshipped Allah, they preached and taught the true religion of God. They were blessed by us, Allah says. Allah says those people will be far away from the fire. They will be kept very, very far away from the fire. They will never go nowhere near the fire. So much so Allah says, لا يسمعون حسيسها. La yasma'una hasisa ayah number 102. They will not even hear the sound of the fire, the crackling of the fire. They will be so far away from the fire, they will not smell the fire, they will not, they will not see the smoke of the fire, they won't even hear the sound of the fire, they won't hear any, they won't have anything to do with the fire. They'll be protected by Allah. Rather, those people will enjoy. Whatever their soul desires for all of eternity, they will be blessed and be taken care of by Allah. لَا يَحْزُنُهُمُ الْفَزَعُ الْأَكْبَرِ لَا يَحْزُنُهُمُ الْفَزَعُ الْأَكْبَرِ That the great terror of the day of judgment and of the life of the hereafter will not trouble these people. وَنَتَلَقَّاهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ And we will send the angels to welcome them. Rather, we will tell them that this is the day that you were promised. You will be given everything that you were promised in the life of this world. So, this is another instance in the immediate aftermath of this. Where again Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was there immediately to get the Prophet ﷺ back and to protect the Prophet ﷺ from these people. Another place in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Anbiya, actually a little bit earlier in Surah Al-Anbiya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet ﷺ, وَقَالُوا اتَّخَذَ الرَّحْمَانُ وَلَدًا That these people say that Allah, Ar-Rahman, the abundantly merciful, has taken a child, whether it be the angels or Isa ﷺ or whatever. Subhanahu. 
Absolutely not. Allah is above and beyond these stupid false accusations. بَلْ عِبَادٌ مُكْرَمُونَ Rather Allah affirms this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala affirms the status and the protection and the rank of these good people. They were good people. Isa alayhi salam was a messenger of God. He never said worship him. And Allah never told anyone to worship Isa alayhi salam. These people have made up these lies. These people followed the shayateen. And then Allah says, بَلْ عِبَادٌ مُكْرَمُونَ Rather the people of the past, like the prophets and the messengers, and the pious people of the past, that these people have wrongly began to worship, Allah says, بَلْ عِبَادٌ مُكْرَمُونَ They are extremely dignified, noble slaves of Ar-Rahman. They are extremely noble slaves of Allah. لَا يَسْبِقُونَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ They would never go beyond what Allah had said. وَهُمْ بِأَمْرِهِ يَعْمَلُونَ they, Their only objective and mission and purpose in life was to enact, was to put into action what God had commanded, what Allah had told them to do. يَعْلَمُ مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمَا خَلْفَهُمْ he, Allah, fully knows what lies ahead of them and what they left behind. And nobody will even will even be able to intercede before God on someone else's behalf except through the approval of Allah. Nobody's got some automatic status. But even the people like Muhammad Rasulullah, whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the station of intercession. But even then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that those people, anyone who will intercede before Allah, will only do by means of the approval of Allah. Allah will approve that person for intercession. Nobody can supersede the power, the command, the authority of Allah. وَهُمْ مِنْ خَشْيَتِهِ مُشْفِقُونَ And rather the same people, the same angels, the same prophets, the same messengers, that these people wrongly worship and deify, all of those creation of Allah, they shake and cower in fear before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They lower their heads before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَن يَقُلْ مِنْهُمْ إِنِّي إِلَاهُمْ مِن دُونِهِ And hypothetically speaking, Allah says hypothetically speaking, in ayah number 29 of surah number 21, if any one of them was ever to even say, this is hypothetical. But if any one of them was even ever to say, inni ilahum min dunihi, that I am also a God and a deity aside from Allah, فَذَٰلِكَ نَجْزِيهِ jahannam. Then Allah said, then that person, whoever he may have been or she may have been, we would have put them into the fire of hell. كَذَٰلِكَ نَجْزِي الظَّالِمِينَ That is how we deal with the people who cross the line. But the prophets and the messengers of God never did this. So again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends this to the Prophet ﷺ to give him a response to these people and to counter. And another place in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Zukhruf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even tells the Prophet ﷺ, مَا ضَرَبُوهُ لَكَ إِلَّا جَدَلًا مَا ضَرَبُوهُ لَكَ إِلَّا جَدَلًا When these people come to you and they make these arguments in front of you, realize these people don't even believe what they're saying. They argue with you, with you for the sake of arguing. مَا ضَرَبُهُ لَكَ إِلَّا جَدَلًا They argue with you for the sake of arguing. بَلْهُمْ قَوْمٌ خَصِمُونَ These people have a bad habit of arguing. Just trying to confront you and contradict you and, and, and uh, instigate something. That's, in the, that's who these people are. Ignore them and leave them be. And so, this is what the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was dealing with. 
in yet in another place in another situation al-walid bin mughira one time he's sitting there and he says ayunzal ala muhammad he's sitting with the quraysh they're talking about you know whatever the challenge of this islam in our city now and he says ayunzal ala muhammad so what they what they think is that divine revelation would come upon muhammad wa utraku wa ana kabiru quraysh wa sayyiduha and i would be left aside revelation would not come to me even though i am the leader of quraysh and he said wa yutraku abu mas'ud amr ibn umair al-thaqafi sayyidu thaqif and the chief of the people of ta'if banu thaqif their leader abu mas'ud you know revelation would not come to him and he basically started this propaganda فَنَحْنُ عَظِيمَاءَ الْقَرْيَتَيْنِ We too, me and Abu Mas'ud are the leaders of the two greatest cities in Arabia. Why wouldn't revelation come to us? And people started talking about this and started confronting the Prophet ﷺ with this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again sent revelation down upon the Prophet ﷺ. This is also from Surah Al-Zukhruf, Surah number 43. وَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمُ الْحَقِّ Ayah number 30 That when the truth came to them قَالُوا هَذَا سِحْرٌ وَإِنَّا بِهِ كَافِرُونَ They first said that this is magic And we don't believe in this, we reject this Then when that didn't work In ayah number 31 Allah says وَقَالُوا لَوْ لَا نُزِّلَ هَذَا الْقُرْآنُ عَلَىٰ رَجُلٍ مِنَ الْقَرْيَتَيْنِ عَظِيمٍ عَلَىٰ رَجُلٍ عَظِيمٍ مِنَ الْقَرْيَتَيْنِ that why wouldn't this revelation, this Qur'an come down upon a man from the two cities who is a great man, a leader? Why wouldn't it come down on one of them two? Why would it come down on Muhammad wasallam? Allah again, and again, they're insulting the Prophet wasallam. They're confronting him, unnecessarily, you know, starting propaganda and slander. So again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala consoles the Prophet wasallam. And he guides the Prophet ﷺ, and he supports the Prophet ﷺ, and he gives him the response. In ayah number 42, Allah says, أَهُمْ يَقْسِمُونَ رَحْمَةَ رَبِّكَ Oh, so have these people now taken charge of distributing the mercy of your Lord? Is that their job now? Did, some, did, did, did somebody give them the responsibility to distribute things now? نَحْنُ قَسَمْنَا بَيْنَهُمْ مَعِيشَتَهُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا Allah says, have these fools ever stopped to think and, and stop and reflect and think about the fact that we are the ones that distribute to them even what they consume and what they eat in this world? Like their food? Their sustenance? We're the ones who distribute that to them? وَرَفَعْنَا بَعْضَهُمْ فَوْقَ بَعْضٍ دَرَجَاتٍ And that we've given different people different types of status over others? Some are taller, some are smarter, some are wealthier, some are more educated. Did they, did, did they forget that fact? That now these people are starting to mock one another. And everything that these people accumulate, that gives them the pride that they have, whether it be their materialistic things, and these foolish arguments that they engage in, the mercy of your Lord is better. So find solace, find comfort in the mercy of your Lord. Lean on the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Put your trust in Allah. Allah will take care of you. Ignore these foolish people and their foolish arguments and their foolish conversations. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again supported the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa in this type of a situation and consoled the Prophet sallallahu and told the Prophet sallallahu to be confident and to keep going. Yet in another situation, one time, and this narration actually mentions a few different people. The reconciliation between the narrations is they all kind of plotted and planned together. And so one day, Akhnas bin Shuraiq comes to the Prophet sallallahu finds an old bone that is like completely decomposed and he brings this bone in front of the Prophet ﷺ and he starts to crush it like this in front of him. And says, Who's, you're trying to tell me God is going to bring this back to life? And next day Ubay, uh, Umayyah bin Khalaf comes to the Prophet ﷺ, or excuse me, Ubay bin Khalaf comes to the Prophet ﷺ and again brings a bone and crushes it and says, you're trying to tell me that your Allah is going to bring this back to life? Next day Abu Jahl comes and crushes a bone and says, you're trying to tell me he's going to bring this back to life? Insulting him, berating him, barraging him with these, with these foolish arguments. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the ayat upon the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa from Surah Yasin, from the end of Surah Yasin, where he told him, فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ قَوْلُهُمْ إِنَّا نَعْلَمُ مَا يُسِرُونَ وَمَا يُعْلِنُونَ That don't let what these people say bother you. We know everything they do publicly and everything they do privately. We're keeping track of everything. كُلٌّ فِي كِتَابٍ مُبِينٌ وَكُلَّ شَيْءٍ أَحْصَيْنَاهُ فِي إِمَامٍ مُبِينٌ Every single thing we are collecting it and calculating it and recording it in a book that is very clear that will be presented before them on the Day of Judgment. They'll have to answer for what they did. And then Allah told them, وَضَرَبَ لَنَا مَثَلًا And Allah said, and look at this fool. He comes to Allah and His Messenger and gives him an example. But he forgets, he never stopped to think and ponder and realize how he came to how he came into existence. How he came to be standing here today. He says, Who will revive these bones once they've turned to dust? You say to him that the same one, الَّذِي أَنْشَأَهَا أَوَّلَ مَرَّةً The one who created that creature in the first place, and Allah didn't use the word خَلَقَهَا He said أَنْشَأَهَا The one who created that creature, and raised that creature up, and fed that creature, and took care of that creature, the same one who blessed that creature with existence and life and sustenance, is the same one who will bring him back. وَهُوَ بِكُلِّ خَلْقٍ عَلِيمٍ He is fully knowledgeable of everything that he's created. You know when, when, when somebody's made something once, it's easier to make it again, right? And you have notes and you, know, you, you, you have your, your, your record and your notes and everything from the first time around. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, if a human being has that ability, you challenge Allah. He knows everything that he created. So if he created you the first time, he created whatever, whatever that creature was that that bone belonged to, the first time around, he created that creature, he created you, don't you think he can bring everyone back to life again? That you come here challenging Allah and His Messenger One time the Prophet of Allah is making tawaf of the Kaaba. He's worshipping, he's making tawaf of the Kaaba. Aswad bin al-Muttalib, Walid bin Mughira, Umayyah bin Khalaf, Al-As ibn Wa'il, all of them gathered together and they approached the Prophet ﷺ, kind of like, you know, step in front of him. And they say, Ya Muhammad, 
شو محمد هلما فلنعبد ما تعبد شو كمان alright fine you win we'll worship whatever it is that you're worshiping listen to even their tone they don't even say we'll accept Islam or we'll believe in Allah we'll worship whatever you know you're, whatever you be doing whatever we'll, 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 we'll do it with you as well وَتَعْبُدُ مَا نَعْبُدُ and then you worship what we worship فَنَشْتَرِكُ نَحْنُ وَأَنْتَ فِي الْأَمْرِ so we'll be partners we'll help each other and then everything will be okay we'll all be cool with each other come on and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, not that the Prophet ﷺ would ever consider this type of a ridiculous compromise. Allah had already told the Prophet ﷺ in the second revelation, what do لَوْتُدْهِنُوا فَيُدْهِنُونَ They want nothing more for you to compromise because they're more than willing to compromise. They don't even stand for anything, these people. They just want, they're just hoping, they desperately want you to compromise on what you believe in. Because they're more than willing to compromise. But don't. But don't ever compromise with these people on what you believe in. What you believe in. Your iman. So the Prophet would never, ever, ever consider any type of a compromise in what he believed in. But rather, if somebody said that to you, more than anything, you'd be insulted. You'd be infuriated. Like, are you seriously proposing this? What do you think has been going on the last eight years? Are you people, I mean, I, I don't know about y'all, but I would just snap. Are you people really that stupid? What do you think I've been saying for eight years? You think dozens of my followers have been killed? You think I sent family members away to Africa? If we could have just so easily compromised everything? You think I would have lived in boycott for three years, watched babies starve to death in front of me? If all we had to do was compromise and it was so easy? Are you people really that stupid? But again, that's not befitting Muhammad Rasulullah So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala consoles the Prophet He guides the Prophet He comforts the Prophet And he reveals to him, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ Listen, y'all don't want to believe. I get it. لَا أَعْبُدُ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ But if you come here looking for some type of a meeting of the minds in the middle about what we believe in, iman, you ain't about to find it here. لَا أَعْبُدُ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ I will never, not that I don't, I will never worship what you people worship. وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَابِدُونَ مَا أَعْبُدُ And you people as it stands right now, are not people who worship anything near or close to how and why I worship. Let's understand that very clearly. Again, that type of a dignified response came because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only gave the Prophet what to recite to them, but you have to understand the emotional side behind it. Which is a huge aspect of the Qur'an and of the seerah that we don't appreciate. See, every single person today, this is, I've been mainly highlighting instances that are a little bit more theological in nature because that was a struggle at that time. But we have to understand, every single person struggles with their iman, struggles with situations, with other people. There's constantly a struggle. But the Qur'an is a source of counsel. The Qur'an is a source of advice. The Qur'an is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us exactly what we need at that time and in that place and in that situation. 
And the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, it's been realized in his life. And that's why it's so necessary for us to constantly be engaged in a study of the Book of Allah, in a study of the seerah, the life of the Prophet ﷺ. So that we can similarly find counsel and comfort and advice and peace and tranquility and confidence and strength in the Book of Allah and in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Just as it was provided for the Prophet and and you know I'll, I'll kind of I'll end with this last two scenarios, very quick and short. Some situations were even outright just mocking the Prophet You know when when somebody just starts even making up words, just straight up just mocking. One time Abu Jahl he must have heard the Prophet reciting some ayat that talked about the tree of Zakum. The tree of a zakum, which is a tree, a thorny tree, in the fire of hell, that the people of hell will consume and eat out of desperation. It'll be a method of torture. That he comes to the Prophet of Allah وسلم, and he tells the Prophet وسلم, um, he comes to the Prophet وسلم, where the Prophet وسلم, is worshipping at the Kaaba, the Baytullah, and there's other people there. And he screams to the other people so that the Prophet وسلم, can hear him saying this. He says, Halumu. He says, Halumu. He says, Come on, everybody. And it even takes me a minute to kind of read this word because it's, he like makes up a word. He says, Fal natazakam. Using the word zakum, he turns it into a verb. He basically takes the word zakum and makes it into a verb, a fi'al. And he says, فَلْنَتَزَقَّمْ He says, come on everybody, let's go eat zakum. Come on everybody, let's all of us go have some zakum for lunch. Of course mocking the Prophet ﷺ, or trying rather I should say, trying to mock the Prophet ﷺ in the Qur'an. And you can imagine what you would feel like if you heard somebody saying that. How you would feel. How, how embarrassing or humiliating that could be. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends revelation down upon the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he sends down to him Surah Al-Dukhan, Surah number 44. Beginning with ayah number 43, Allah says, إِنَّ شَجَرَةَ zaqum." As far as the tree of zaqum is concerned, he, he, he wants everybody to go have some zaqum for lunch. Does this fool know what he talks about? Ta'amul athim. It is the food of extremely sinful people. Kalmuhl. It will be like oil. Yaghli fil butun. And it will boil in their bellies. Kaghalil hamim. You know how that oil, the thicker something is, the harder and the longer it is to make it boil and bubble? But have you ever seen water when it boils? How easily? How quickly does water boil? Put on the stove for a couple of minutes? It's crazy, going crazy. But if you put something really thick and murky, thick in substance, it takes longer, harder. And still then imagine, you know, even to the eye, it doesn't boil the way water does. But Allah says, Kagalil Hamim. It'll boil inside their bellies just like water boils. Khuduhu. And Allah will command the malaika, the angels, grab him, فَعَتِلُوهُ إِلَى سَوَاءِ الْجَحِيمِ And then drag him all the way to the middle of the fire of hell. 
Because this wretched creature will try to crawl to the edges of the fire to try to escape the punishment and Allah will command the angels, grab him and drag him all the way back to the middle of the fire and drop him there. فَعْتِلُوهُ إِلَى سَوَاءِ الْجَحِيمِ ثُمَّ صُبُّوا فَوْقَ رَأْسِهِ مِنْ عَذَابِ الْحَمِيمِ And then pour scalding water over his head. ذُقْ So enjoy your lunch. ذُقْ literally means taste. Remember he had said? Come on everybody, let's go have zakum for lunch. So Allah said dhuq. So enjoy your zakum. Enjoy your zakum. Innaka anta al-azizul kareem. Because most definitely Allah and only you, O oh Allah, are al-aziz, the all-powerful, al-kareem, the most honorable and dignified. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't sit by and let his messenger Habib sallallahu alayhi wa be insulted and taunted and, uh, and mocked in this manner. Hear this and know this. This is a message from Allah Himself. Inna hadha ma kuntum bihi tamtarun. You you used to argue and doubt and dispute and mock. This is what you were making fun of. So this is Allah subhanahu wa taala again coming to the aid and the rescue of the Prophet and comforting him. And then even situations, even situations where the Prophet of Allah from a human perspective. Would you know as a, any ordinary any other human being would react in a particular situation? Allah Subhanahu wa Taala was always there to show the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu the way. The Quran always came down to show the Prophet Sallallahu how to handle. And there, this brings us to the last instance I'll mention: the very famous situation involving Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum radiAllahu Taala anhu. One of the mu'adhins of al-Masjid al-Nabawi, of the Masjid of the Prophet al-Munawwara. He was a blind man, a poor blind man, who lived with his mother. And he had accepted Islam in the early days. That one time the Prophet of Allah was sitting with Al-Walid bin Mughira. And Walid bin Mughira must have seemed a little bit more cooperative this day. He didn't, extreme, he didn't instantly jump into arguing and mocking the Prophet So the Prophet was actually encouraged. He was actually encouraged. فَكَلَّمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ فَكَلَّمَ Walid bin Mughira, actually the narration even mentions, Ibn Ishaq mentions, that Walid bin Mughira stopped and started a conversation with the Prophet ﷺ. Hey, how's it going Muhammad, how are you doing? And the Prophet saw that and said, man, what's wrong with him today? But again, maybe now's a good chance. وَرَسُولُ اللَّهِ The Prophet started talking to him. I'm doing good, how are you doing? Have a seat. And the Prophet you know, saw Walid bin Mughira just kind of talking the way they used to talk back in the day. So the Prophet started getting a little more encouraged. You know, maybe today's the day. Maybe right now is the moment. Only Allah knows. So this seems like this is going well. Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum radiallahu ta'ala anhu came by. And he was a blind man, so he didn't see that the Prophet ﷺ was sitting there with somebody, especially Walid bin Mughira, somebody as confrontational as Walid bin Mughira, and actually having a pleasant conversation. So he comes along and says, Ya Rasulullah, and he started asking him about, you know, some verses of the Qur'an. فَجَعَلَ يَسْتَقْرِئُهُ الْقُرْآنِ He started asking him, please, you know, recite some Qur'an to me, tell me a little bit about the Qur'an, this, this. فَشَقَّ ذَلِكَ عَلَيْهِ حَتَّى أَضْجَرَهُ So this kind of bothered the Prophet ﷺ a little bit. 
in the sense of like, man, I'm having a good conversation. Because as soon as Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum came, because again at the end of the day, Walid bin Mughira was an arrogant man. So he saw this poor blind man, disabled individual come along and start to talk. And he got kind of like, oh, okay, here we go. Here come your people again. And he just kind of got up and abruptly, you know, started to basically leave. And the Prophet of Allah got a little upset and he turned away and he kind of frowned a little bit. He wasn't happy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down ayat upon the Prophet of Allah immediately. Again, there to take care of him and support him. And show him the way. Abasa wa tawalla. That he frowned and turned away. Anja'ahu al-a'ma. That the blind man came and interrupted. But how do you know that he wouldn't heed the message and realize? And this actually is very interesting from the language of the Qur'an. We talked about this, that the, the Qur'an's a miracle, and we have to let it be the miracle that it is, that this works both ways. That not only is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that how do you not know that Abdullah bin Umi Maktoum would actually heed the message and go on to become somebody special like he did. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also telling the Prophet how do you know Walid bin Mughira would actually accept or listen to anything you have to say. And that Abdullah bin Umi Maktoum is the better investment here. You don't know. But that's why you have to make the best of every situation with every single person. Or he would at the very least heed the reminder, listen to what you have to say, and it would go on to benefit him later on. And so, this is another example of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Qur'an down. And yes, the Qur'an is the word of Allah, it is the word of God, it is what we read and what we recite and what we memorize. But we have to understand at the same time, it was a huge source of inspiration, motivation, peace, tranquility, support, consolation and counsel and advice in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Helping him navigate through the very difficult, tumultuous, circumstances that the Prophet ﷺ was faced with. And for us as well, the life of the Prophet ﷺ in the Book of Allah is that same type of a guide. For us to deal with the day-to-day, the everyday circumstances and the situations that we deal with. And this is why it's so important that we make time, like we do here on this weekly session, to sit down for a while, for an hour, and to talk about the life of Muhammad Rasulullah ﷺ. It's the least we can do. One hour in a week. I talked about in the beginning of the session doing justice to the sacrifices in the life of Muhammad Rasulullah One hour a week by no means is any type of an achievement or an accomplishment. But it's at least a start. Something we can do to get started. And along those same lines, I want to encourage everyone here because of course, you know, there's, there's new faces and people kind of come and go and join the session that the previous sessions we do try to record and put them online as soon as possible. So do log on online and also kind of go back and revisit and re-listen to the sessions. If you maybe even haven't caught the previous sessions, it'd be a good opportunity just making some more time on a weekly basis to go back and catch up with the remaining sessions and then also share that as a resource with other people as well so that as many people as possible can start to benefit from the life of Muhammad Rasulullah May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that we've said and heard. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu Allah. لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك